the psalmist said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Oh God, that we would be filled each and every day. May your blessings, may your anointing, Father, your grace, your mercy, and your truth overshadow us today as we go to your word in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And everyone in the house of the Lord this morning said, Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Hey, can you put your hands together for the team back at the back, at the front? Everybody serving our children, all these preteens heading off to preteen ministry and the team back there. And Josh Ketchum uh, works very hard, does a great job um, at uh, ministering to our preteens along with the teens, along with the, uh, the team that serve with him. And uh, we are grateful for the people who uh, lay their lives down to serve the body of Christ and the greater community of Colorado Springs. Amen. Uh, so listen, I am excited to be back. Uh, it was quite the trip this time, uh, you know, so Angie and I got to take some much needed vacation. That was a, a fun time. We, we uh, uh, down in uh, the, uh, where the church is in Largo, it's in the southeast region of Open Bible, and they have a, uh, a timeshare, and he, uh, the regional executive director approached Angie and I and said, you guys have worked really hard. Would you like to use this timeshare? It's down in the Keys. It's in, uh, what was that, Marathon um, Marathon Key or something like that. So between Largo, Key Largo and between um, Key West. And uh, so we went down there. It was one week prior to that hurricane coming through, just so you know. Uh, I told Angie on the way down, I said, you know, this is hurricane season. We didn't think this through very strongly. And, um, and so we got back out of there, and then sure enough, a hurricane started brewing. And that hurricane went through, I think it was five or six days after we had left uh, down there in the, in the Keys. So uh, can somebody say, God is gracious? <laughs> and uh, we need to keep the folks down there and in the uh, lower part of Florida in our prayers. So when I, we did get back. Angie went to a women's conference out in California. Uh, Open Bible uh, churches, the Pacific Region Open Bible churches had a women's conference that she attended. Um, and uh, so she was there, and I was bracing myself for the hurricane where they targeted it to come up through the Tampa area. And, you know, the cone, if you will, everything was coming right straight for where our church is in Largo, Florida. And so I, my process was Angie and I are living in a travel trailer down there on the church property uh, as, a, as a means to um, help turn that church around. Uh, it was a restart uh, that we did coming out of COVID that our congregation embraced and adopted as a church another church family member for us, and now is a part of Reach Church Network. So we have Reach Church Network Colorado, Reach Church Network Largo. I know some of our members know that, but we have some visitors as well. Can I get an amen and out? Uh, so um, we live in a travel trailer, travel trailer, and so with that hurricane being projected, uh, we start sandbagging. So the whole week turned into prepping for the hurricane to come through and uh, sandbagging the doorways to keep the water out and that kind of thing. And uh, because it's a travel trailer, if that uh, went through there with 150 mile an hour winds, uh, my travel trailer was probably going to just be a pile of uh, rubbish. And so I got all of Angie and I stuff out of the trailer we've been living in for 18 months down there and loaded in the bed of my truck and stuffed it all in there and in the cab of my truck. I had that whole thing packed up and in the, uh, in the truck and headed over to Lakeland, Florida. Some of you know uh, Brent. Uh, my brother Brent, who actually worked on staff here as an executive pastor for a season, moved back to Florida 
and now serves down there with us as well. Um, but he lives in Lakeland, so I drove over and stayed with him in Lakeland and uh, uh, weathered the storm there. Uh, the winds were pretty crazy uh, through there as well. But uh, the, the uh, hurricane took that right hook and went lower and uh, really a lot of devastation for the people uh, in, the, in the lower Florida area. Um, uh, Fort Myers, I think it's Port, Port Lucy, Port St. Lucy, is that right? Or um, uh, what is it? Yeah, so Port St. Lucie, Fort Myers area, and I don't know if you saw some of the videos that had been circulating, but we're talking, you know, that water came in so high, you had some of those buildings that are uh, alongside the ocean, uh, you just got buildings floating away. Um, so uh, loss of life has taken place, a lot of loss of property, um, and, and people are displaced and trying to figure things out. Next week, I'll, uh, I'll bring before the con- congregation an opportunity uh, to give to uh, Convoy for Hope. How, who's ever heard of Convoy for Hope? Um, whenever you have like tornadoes, you have any kind of tragedy like that across our country, uh, Convoy for Hope is actually, it's just semis. They're an organization. Uh, Open Bible um, uh, works with them. We don't have our own convoy that hauls water and food and all those kind of things in. What we do is just network and partner with uh, that 501c3, the parachurch ministry called Convoy for Hope. Um, and they'll transport water, and they, they take supplies in and things like that. They're already doing it, um, but we'll give you an opportunity uh, to give to help the devastation in that lower uh, part of Florida. Uh, our Largo campus will also be raising funds to, to help contribute to that. Uh, if you remember, I think we raised somewhere around $6,000 to send to the Ukraine uh, for all the, the tragedy that broke out there. I think I would shared with you we have, like I think, 45 open Bible churches, part of our church family. Uh, my focus is never on the denomination so much, just to say that we're a part of the bigger, it's a bigger part of the family of God that we're a part of, right? Uh, based out of Des Moines, Iowa, 300 and something churches across our nation, thousands of churches across the world, 45 of them, I believe it is, in, in the Ukraine. And, and I want to report this to you. Some of the pastors were initial reports where they're going to have to leave. Um, the report just came in. That basically, those pastors stayed right where their churches were in the midst of all that devastation. And, and so there's an effort now. There's, uh, the Billy Graham uh, organization uh, is, is uh, working to help some of the, the uh, displacement and you know, the refu- refugees and things like that um, to, to minister all the way into where, where the battle is going on in people's lives. And our missionary um, is going to be heading back, Open Bible Missionary, which was brought back to the States. Uh, Tammy Swales will be actually heading back to the Ukraine. And so just uh, many of the Open Bible churches across the nation raise funds to help support the efforts uh, through those churches. How many of you know it's, it, it, the best way to minister um, is with people on the ground doing the ministry, amen? I mean, we could try to pack up and go to the Ukraine, but I don't know what to do. Does anybody in here know what to do when they get over there, you know? You got to have people on the ground, so the best that we can do is send our support to them so they can get the work done, amen? Um, So that just gives you a little bit of a report. Uh, Another one is uh, I shared uh, um, uh, when I was here about a month ago, I shared about uh, this trip to Florida would, uh, there would be a little bit of a shift in how I'm going to be going back and forth uh, where I was going uh, anywhere from four to five weeks and then back here for, you know, three to five or three to four weeks. And then, uh, as I told you in the beginning, when we adopted that church to keep it from shutting down uh, through COVID, is that it's going to be our, our baby. 
Now, it's, it's an existing physical church plant. Uh, there's buildings all over the place. It needs a lot of work, so on and so forth. But it's still a brand new baby in it, it, as a restart. And I talked about the fact that, you know, I would have to take care of our new baby. Amen? And so we've done a lot of good, hard work, uh, a lot of sacrifice on, on the part of this congregation. Um, uh, but the team that has been raised up there, uh, Jake and Amanda are doing a, a stellar job. Uh, Amanda's uh, preached a number of times. She's done a phenomenal job. I want to have them come out. I'll have, to take, I'll have to take Pastor Jay with me to lead worship down there. And, and Jake can come out here and lead worship. And I can let Amanda preach here. And you guys will get to experience her. Uh, they're both amazing. How many of you got to experience uh, Jake when he was out here and helped lead worship uh, for the conference we had? Great, great worship, worship pastor. Um, but they're doing a great job, a great team coming up down there. And then also the members, just uh, very loving. Now, what just took place this week, well, last week I introduced, um, how many of you have ever heard of Pastor Marty Younger? Give me an amen in this house if you've ever heard of him. I've talked about him numerous times because he's the man that, that uh, I gave my heart to the Lord under. Uh, I've shared the testimony many times about how he preached that first Sunday I was in church after having an encounter with God in the middle of, uh, of uh, the, um, um, NTC, Death Valley, California. I was in the desert, in desert training, sitting in a Humvee, and God had spoken my name. And it was an encounter with the Lord that, that really shifted my mindset because Angie and I had met, and uh, we had gotten engaged within two weeks of knowing each other. And so uh, God's hand was in all of that. And you young people, please don't do that to your parents. <laughs> it's crazy. That's crazy. Newer two weeks and we're engaged, you know. Um, but, but the story of it is, is when I was nine, going through a lot of abuse growing up, I had been beaten by my stepfather and I went to this one spot on our farm and I made a promise to God that I'd give him my life if he'd give me a wife who would love me and never leave me through anything. At nine. And at 19... In, in uh, Death Valley, California, God spoke to me in that Humvee. And when he did, he said, I've, you, you asked me for a wife and said you'd give me your life if I'd give you a woman who would love you and never leave you through anything. See, for Angie and I, I our history with parents, and, and look, there's grace. Say there's grace for divorce. God gives grace. People can start over. Sometimes things are too hard, you know. But... On the flip side of that, it doesn't change the fact that God still hates divorce because it causes pain, right? right? What leads up to the divorce is the hardness of heart. And Jesus is the one that said divorce happens for one reason, and that's the hardness of heart. So where we can't forgive or release things, what happens our heart hardens, and then it leads to a separation. So, um, so no one is condemned should they have gone through that. Uh, is that God's grace is always there for you to have a fresh start. Amen? But God's standard does not change as a result of that. His grace is always a part of his standard, but his, his standard is this, that we would be like him. And we don't end up with those bad results because we're being like God. We end up with bad results because we're not being like God. Amen? And so, so in all of that, growing up through uh, as I was saying, Angie and I, it's 21 divorces from our natural parents. And so for us, it was kind of like, I don't want to be with somebody that I'm going to be with the rest of my life. And uh, so it put a, a drive or a, a, uh, 
um, a, a motive in us that said, no matter what I do, the person I end up with, I want to be with forever. When I say forever, right, on this earth. That I know that Angie's my mate, that I am her mate, and that we are dedicated to one another, and that we will live for one another and live for God. Amen? Amen. So God does that, and I didn't know what to do with that encounter. I just knew that God spoke to me, that you made this promise to me, now it's time for you to give me your life. How do you do that? <laughs> I kind of went to church a little bit as a kid, but I don't know what to do with all this. And so I tell Angie on the phone, hey, when I get back, I want to go to church. And we had not talked about church in all of our conversations. Hadn't talked about God. But her mom and dad attended church. And she said, you can go to church with my mom and dad. Now understand, when Angie told me she, that I could go to church with her mom and dad, here was her mindset. Here was her mindset. He is either going to get saved or he is going to run. He's either going to get saved or he's going to be completely. So he's either all in or he's going to be all out once he goes to this church. Here's why. They were a bunch of freaks. <laughs> Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking. I'm, and they, look, man, we, I would say we're, we're very reserved where it comes to the gifts of the spirit here. If you hear somebody kind of start, if you ever hear me kind of speak in tongues, just know I don't know what to do and I'm trying to edify my spirit to know where God wants me to go. Because that's what that gift is. is the Bible said, see, people get into this place of where, um, well, if you speak in tongues, you've got to have an interpreter in the room that understands the language. How many of you agree with that? That's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. How do I know it's wrong? Let me tell you. Raise your hand in here if you know the language of angels. How many of you know the language of an angel? This is why God's word is so, so important to know. Because the way the enemy, and today we're going to talk about being able to stand firm. But God established things in a way that the enemy, how many have been in the military before? How many know what military intelligence is? Don't somebody, don't say it. You had to say it. How many have heard of need to know basis? And the devil doesn't need to know everything you and God are talking about. Now, it, it, here's one of the, the, the old arguments. It's like, so if I don't speak in tongues, am I not saved? It's like, no, that's not true. A lot of Pentecostals or Charismatics, if you will, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And if they got this, this uh, interpretation somehow, deduction, that, that I love Jesus before this, but now I'm really saved. And that's not true. All who call on the name of Jesus Christ, right, shall be saved. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, you shall be saved. Is that correct? We've got to follow what the word teaches. But once we're saved, here's the thing. God has so much more for us. Think about it this way. The day you got saved and God says basically right where you're at, I've saved you and I've justified you. You guys know what the doctrine of justification is? There's an importance in understanding sound doctrine. Justification is this. Simple, in its simplest form is this, just as you, if you'd never sinned, you have been justified through the work of Christ. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a whole lot more work to do with you, amen? Is you might be perfect in your spirit because you've been born again of his spirit, but your flesh is still there. Now, when I got saved, it's something about, I just forgave everybody. I, I don't hold anything against anyone anymore. I forgive them, and then somebody wronged me, 
after I was saved and forgiven people, and all of a sudden I'm like, my flesh is like, they don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm like, where'd that guy come from? <laughs> I thought I buried him in the water when I got baptized. Yeah, but he jumps up and chases you the rest of your life. Your flesh. <laughs> your spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit. We need to know that we have an adversary, and he is the devil. He's like a roaring lion that goes about seeking whom he may devour. God has given you the power and the ability to resist the devil. I know that for a fact because the Bible says if you resist the devil, he will do what from you? He'll run. He'll break out into a sprint running away from you, see? And all I know is, is that that this moment came for me where I have this encounter with God and people will tell me, well, not everybody has those kind of encounters with God. Yeah, the stubborn ones do. You hearing me? Some people don't need that, that, you know, if you will, light show of God. Paul the Apostle got struggling. He's going to kill a bunch more Christians and he gets knocked off his horse by the brightness and the light of Jesus Christ, right? And, 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 and even when he does, you know, he's in this stupor, like what just happened and and, and out of his mouth comes this, this, this statement, and it says, Who are you, Lord? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm the Lord. I'm Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And believe it or not, all of us have lived in a place where our lifestyle has persecuted Jesus. Let that settle in your soul just little, because he hung on the cross for our sins. Our sins is what brought the persecution of Christ. It's what brought the crucifixion of Christ. There was warfare going on in that moment, and the war, let me, let me say this. Jesus has won forevermore. But where it comes to us contending for our faith, fighting the good fight of faith, we are going, our spirit is going to war against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. And the church has probably never been, in America, I will say, probably around the world. But in America, the church has never been in a more dire state. Why do I say that? Because we've gone backwards, saints. Do you know through COVID that the increase of even gathering like this as believers together, that more people out of COVID have emerged with saying, well, I can just stay home and and, and worship God and just be with my family, and that's good enough. Now, I, I referred to the last time I was here to Acts 2, and it talks about that they gathered from house to house and at the temple daily. What was that? They gathered as in those, the oikos, say oikos, their sphere of influence, their family, their close friends, and they gathered from house to house in their specific oikos, and they gathered at the temple daily, not just on Sunday, but they gathered daily at the temple and from house to house. Why? They weren't forsaking the gathering together of the brethren, of the body of Christ to come together in a corporate manner and in that smaller manner of oikos so that their influence grew together with those they spent most of their time with to influence others that were in their sphere of influence that did not know Christ. Now, out of all of that that's going on in Acts 2, what you have is this emergence where it says they did all of these things, and I, I discussed those that week, and I know that our leadership team and everybody have been going through them again because 
what, what I'm looking at is while the world, I said to you that Sunday, while the world is in its great reset, the church has to reset itself around the principles of how it was founded. I'm not shouting out, give me that old time religion. I'm Because I can't go back to what was, but I can certainly move forward with what they did that Christ taught them to do. If we implement what Christ taught us to do, and that is this, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, right? They prayed. They were in unity. They gave of their resources to further the kingdom of God. Now, now understand this, that they help one another, but we also know that they sold properties and they brought and laid at the, at the feet of the apostles. They got so much was being brought to build and advance the kingdom of God that they, you got to stop bringing. There's something that took place in the Old Testament like that when they were going to build the, the, the temple and, and they kept bringing resource and David, don't bring anything else. But we've entered into a time where we're the least generous generation to ever exist in our nation. We're the most blessed generation on planet Earth, but we have become the least generous. We used to be more generous, and we are becoming less generous. And I want you to know this, that God's blessing resides where there's generosity. How do I know that? Because his generosity in giving his son, what did it create for us? It created eternal life. It created all the blessings of God that are yes and amen in our life. And this is what happens. This is all of a sudden, you know, uh, look at what I've done. I've increased and I have need of nothing. This is the, the, the letters to the churches in, in, in uh, Revelation, to the seven churches. One of those letters says, I'm increased and I have need of nothing. And you know what Jesus says to John on the Isle of Patmos concerning people with that kind of attitude? He says, yet... You don't even realize that you're naked, blind, wretched, and poor. And I want to say the church in America, uh, can I say uh, good psychological Christianity cannot be substituted for biblical Christianity? They're two different things I want you to know. The thoughts that, that, that we hold on to that don't line up with the Bible, and that's why I'm telling you that when we encounter the word for what it is, it should cause us to say, that's not the way I've thought about that. And it needs to change my mindset. My mind needs to be washed by the washing of the water of the word. I need to think the way that God thinks. And the moment that I think I'm standing, we're going to talk about The moment I think I stand, I need to take heed lest what happens, I fall. And I think in so many ways, the church has been on this march of looking at the outer appearance of things and the church in America has become much like the Pharisees of old whitewashed sepulchers because we'll have a form of godliness and deny his power we'll go to his word and we'll pick and choose what, what we like and dismiss the things that we don't like that's how we can end up in a society where, where people are so confused about their identity is because it's dismissed God my identity doesn't come from him. I determine my identity. I don't know if you saw this recently, but, but recently in the news, what just came out is that now there's a certain hospital in our country that has said that babies in the womb can determine what sex they are. Now, now I want you to think about this. The same people selling that bill of goods are the ones selling the bill of goods for abortion. 
So you're saying they are life in the womb now, and they can determine. You hearing me? The, the, the state of confusion with that, and that's part of the way the enemy works, right? Is to, uh, can I say, um, spiritual propaganda? That the more ideas and the more ways we think, it's, well, no, it's this. No, no, it's not that. It's this. Well, no, that's not your identity. You don't know your identity. And all of this is to move to a non-binary. I know I've shared this before, but I need us as a body of believers to really begin to come to a place. I'm going to say God needs us as a body of believers to hold to that which is true. The, you know, in the last days, um, people won't endure sound doctrine, but rather will give heed to fables, right? Stories, mixtures of, oh, well, this is God, but let me mix in a little bit. of The Corinthian church was highly guilty of that. Mix in a little bit of my thinking with God's thinking, and then all of a sudden, no, this is God. And we form God in our own image rather than being formed into his image. Transformed and changed into the likeness of his image is what the Bible says we're meant to be uh, doing. Y'all with me this morning? Am I getting too preachy? Hmm. When I walked in that church, and I'd gone to church a little as a kid, and you got to think, like, I'm there as a kid, and I hear... uh, you know, some of the members of the church, you know, some of my family members that were there too, uh, uncles and stuff. Yeah, those tongue-talking churches are a bunch of devil worshipers. Devil worshipers. So I go to church with Angie's mom and dad. And I'm sitting there. Pastor Marty gets up, and we're going to worship the Lord today. And they got guitars and drums. I was already a little freaked out by that because, you know, we were Church of Christ. And most of them a cappella, and we had a piano and a organ and in, in a sense we're liberal with the way that we do worship because we have a couple instruments hmm. but drums electric guitar bass and he prays and the band strikes up man they start jamming I'm like this is like a rock concert and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself like this is sacrilegious this, is, this isn't right this isn't God Somebody off to my left worshiping the Lord and they're uh, getting free with their tongues and and loving on Jesus in in another language. Anybody ever been in one of those situations where you're like, that ain't right. And somebody to my right and I'm like, I'm thinking, man, is that Spanish? Maybe that's French. And then all of a sudden I have this flashback moment as a little kid. Those tongue-talking churches, a bunch of devil worshipers. Oh, I'm in a cult. Man, I am not going to embarrass her parents by leaving. But you'll never get me back in this place. Going off in my mind, Pastor Marty preaches about the love of the Father in giving his son. Most of you know my testimony. That's all I ever wanted was the love of a father. Didn't have it as a kid. And all of a sudden I'm hearing that God loves me as a son to him the way I've always wanted to be loved. And I remember just tears, just, just jumping out of my eyes. I mean, it was weird to watch a tear, like, jump. They're popping out of your, you know, it's one thing to trickle down your cheek. When they're coming so fast, they don't even have the time to run down your cheek, but they're just popping out of your eye. And I'm rubbing my face and like, God, what is the matter with me? 
and my heart's pounding and I just sense for the first time, I don't know what it is, I don't understand it, but the Holy Spirit said, now I'm feeling conviction in my heart for how far short I fall and how great God is that he would give his son so that I could be a son to a loving father. Life-altering for me. That was the moment for me where flesh and blood doesn't reveal this, but my Father which is in heaven. And who do I say that Jesus is? I say he's my Savior. He's the Son of the living God. And that conviction was deep in me. I believed in my heart. The confession with my mouth came when I'm, I'm there and I'm about the distance from Warren to the platform. And as Marty preaches that, and gets to that end and he says, would you like to give your life to the Lord? And I said, yes. Thinking he walked down to me in my seat. When he asked, I opened my eyes saying yes. And I'm standing at the altar. And I like to say it this way. Somehow the Holy Spirit, I can't explain it. It's, it's when you say signs and wonders. Um, it was a wonder. I was wondering how I got up there. And I walk, to that, I walk to that altar. And I say that the Holy Spirit, no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And here's the deal. I was reserved. I grew up in the church of Christ, man. You know, you look, clapping your hands, that stuff doesn't go on. Now, I ain't saying they don't love Jesus, but I'm saying, you know, you're not exuberant with anything. You get what, you're pretty laid back about things. So to get out of my seat and walk forward, that wasn't going to happen. But it did. And when he asked that and I opened my eyes, yeah, I do. And I gave my heart to the Lord that day. Pastor Warren was also saved under Pastor Marty. Well, I tell you all this because uh, Pastor Marty is, I would say, I don't know if you ever retire as a pastor. But um, he's preaching down there for the next three weeks. He'll be here in June and he's going to do a series in June for our congregation. And he is a seasoned 50 years in ministry. And he understands the Holy Spirit. He understands the gifts of the Spirit. Now to swing back on the tongues thing and why I said, do you know the language of angels? And then, and then I'll get into the full body of my message with seven minutes to go. Because <laughs> this is a series. Are you getting anything out of us today? Let me ask you that. I've been soaking in this and so there's a lot coming up out of my spirit. Um, and I want to give it due diligence and I want you to understand when I talk about team ministry and five-fold ministry equipping the saints for the work of the ministry it has been my lifelong pursuit my lifelong pursuit hasn't been to be in the pulpit and be before people my lifelong pursuit has been to see God's people equipped for the work of the ministry and in America we've We've embraced a system in, in so many ways in the church, Western culture, that does not even reflect on what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches us that God will set a man over, over a congregation, but that man is not, let me repeat, not to lead alone. That he gave five apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry till we all come to the unity, the faith, to the fullest of the stature of Christ, who is the head of the church. He's the head of the church, and the only way the body ever connects with him is to be assembled together by that which every joint supplies. 
that we are connected by the gifts and the callings that we have. Shall the eye say to the, the ear, I have no... Shall the, let me say this. Uh, who, who's ever worked construction at all? Raise your hand. How many have gone out to construction, right? And you, you, man, I got I to gotta put these boards on. You know, I got to assemble this and I got to drive some nails. And you're like, I need to drive some nails. And you slip your boot off and you go to pick up the hammer with your foot to drive a nail. You've seen some of those videos. Like, hey, boss, how much you paying this guy per hour? you seen those? You paid too much. <laughs> it's the same in the body of Christ. Where do your gifts fit? What has God called you to do? Are you using your gifts within the body of Christ so that we are connected to the head? And what happens is, is the world sees by our love for one another, our assembly together, how we work for the kingdom of God together. And they want to be a part of it. Because there's no love like it. Should, let me say this. There's no love like the love of God. Can I get an amen? And there should be no love like the people of God have for one another. Can I get an amen? And oftentimes that's not the case. Because we get focused on the minors rather than the majors. Focus on the majors. Now, let me spin this right back around. So... It is so important for us, if we're going to do spiritual warfare, to be a people of prayer. You have a true enemy, and he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He wants to destroy your relationship with one another. He wants to just destroy your witness to the world. Let me say this. Um, he wants to destroy your witness to Christ toward the world. Remember uh, in Acts, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall be witnesses to your family. You shall be witnesses to your friends. You shall be witnesses to Colorado Springs. You shall be witnesses to, no, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So your relationship with Christ, that connection you have with him, it causes you to love him more than anybody else. I love my wife more than any of you in here. I want you to know that. But I love Jesus more than I love my wife. Amen. And loving him more than I love my wife makes me love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. Right? But dealing with people, you know, like dealing with my wife sometimes. And I don't want you to know, we laugh a lot, we get along a lot, but we don't agree on everything. Can I get an amen? And when we don't agree, right? We can get frustrated, agreed? Now, some of you are thinking, well, are they having problems? No, we're not. And yes, we are. And no, we're not. Not really. You know, if we have any problems, it's, you know, you think your kids are going to grow up. None of them are here right now, thank God, to hear this. They might be watching online. But it's like, you know, once I've got them raised out of high school, college, or whatever, man, you know, finally it's about us. Let me tell you, that's not true. Grandbabies, you know... It be, it, life is about your family, then it's going to have all the different demands and needs. And, and some of you know that I've been going out trying to help them with my grandmother and her transition in life and all of that. And that brings a whole other slew. And I'm just like, man, life is hard sometimes. You pull it in a hundred directions, right? And you got to have the love of Christ in you so that your response in the midst of all of that is going to be, listen to me, listen to me, a loving, truthful response. 
I'm not telling you to compromise for your love. I'm saying that you can have a loving response that is from a truthful standpoint of God's word in any situation that you face. But I think all so often what we've seen, especially in our country, in the church, is the truth is being compromised from this standpoint of, well, we're supposed to love people, so don't, don't point out what the truth of God's word says. Let me share one more little short story. Um, a Satanist did a video recently. And in that video, he said, here's the thing. Like, I worship Satan. And I can do whatever I want. But your God tells you, you have to accept me and love me even though I worship Satan. Isn't that right? No, it's not right. Let me explain this to you. Is that that, that mindset says this, right? That for us, we need to show love to people even though they blaspheme God. And let me tell you how you do that, by proclaiming Christ. Not It's not a... I'm a witness to you, so I'm going to love on you and accept you just as you are. And if that's the way you want to live, then it's okay with me. No, that isn't the way the Bible teaches us. I'm a witness unto Christ. Well, here's the deal. As far as my love for you, my love for you is in telling you that you are deceived. And you couldn't comprehend my love for you right now, even if I tried to tell you truth. Well, you interpret as hate and judgment. What I'm saying to you that you are on a straight path to hell and you will perish for, for eternity. In the lake of fire, you will perish and suffer torment. Oh, you're judgmental. See what I'm saying? You're not loving, you're judgmental. No, it, there's no love without truth. You've heard me say this before. Warren, remind me who said that? Warren Wearsby. Because I went through a lot of Warren Wearsby's uh, training years ago and uh, I had said that on Sunday. I didn't remember who had said it, but here's what it is. Love without truth, come on somebody, love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. One of the greatest statements I ever heard is that we get deceived into thinking that I got to show love no matter what, and that means I can't actually speak the truth of God's word. What, I'm going to cease to be a witness of Christ? Hey, when he died on the cross, let me tell you what he, he, Satan hung him on the cross. So you're worshiping the one that lost on the day that Jesus hung on the cross. You know, well, I'm not going to get into the, the body of any of this today, <laughs> but, but I'm setting you up. This series is on spiritual warfare. This series is going to be on spiritual warfare. I'll tell you another story. When I got saved, when I got born again, stand firm. You got an enemy, an adversary. Angie, Angie's actually been on me. Can you go away from your notes and just speak from your heart? And I'm like, babe, when I do that, there's a lot of good stories, and, but I got to give them some real applicable you know content so that when they go home well how do I do this we will get to that I'm gonna tell you this next story because right out of being saved when I was under Marty Younger get saved within a, a, a few months I ship out to um, Germany and I was stationed in um, in Kitzigan Germany I get to the unit and, and what I'll do today is I, I'll do this story and then I'm gonna close out by reading our uh, the body of our scripture for this series for you to understand that you have an enemy and he's seeking to destroy your life. And I want to submit this to you. 
that you really need to understand that you need to engage in this warfare. You need to engage in spiritual warfare. You can't run from it. It's, it's, it's not going to run from you, right? It's going to come after you. When you turn and face it and you battle it back the right way, our battle's not against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers, correct? And you battle it back spiritually, what ends up happening is, how many of you know that God fights for us, amen? But the way God engages in the fight for us, it's a spiritual act. We might physically be involved, but I'm telling you, we don't go after people physically. What we do is we stand firm, we stand our ground, and we do not move from the faith in the midst of confronting lies. We, we stand firm when we're confronting hypocrisy. We stand firm when we are under the attack of the enemy. Now, I got to tell you that I encounter the Lord. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. All these things happen. Three months later, I'm in Germany. I get to Germany. I walk up to uh, what they call quarters control desk, CQ desk. People on duty, if you've got new soldiers showing up to the unit, they got their orders, they hand their orders, they sign in. You've signed in off leave, and now you're in your unit, and therefore you're not AWOL. Right? So, I'm signing in, and a guy at the end of the, of the CQ desk looks at me. As I'm signing in, he goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? Now, I'm new in the Lord. understand. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm like, whoa, somebody saw that. I didn't even have to say anything. That's so awesome, right? I told you the anointing changes the atmosphere, right? Well, I walked in there, man, an anointed man of God, and just wrote my name in there, and I get called out for being a Christian. I'm like, man, Jesus, you have a way of shining through. He just turns around and walks away. Now, I'm sitting there. I'm like, that was weird. CQ guy goes, he is weird. Well, what's that mean? Uh, it was about probably a month later. I'm doing map training and I'm training a bunch of troops. He and I were the same rank. And he's back there, he's standing behind me, and he starts whispering, I'm gonna convert you. I'm gonna convert. And just whisper. Can somebody say weird? Right? You're there, you're doing the training. He's called you out for being a Christian, just walks away. You've had no more interaction, but all of a sudden he lays down. I'm going to convert you. And he's just back there whispering it over and over and over and over again. The troops, you know, I'm like, hey, can you, I'm trying to focus here. And they're all like, they're weirded out. I'm kind of weirded out. But inside of me, and here's the thing I'm saying about praying in the spirit, just be in prayer. All I can encourage you to do is be in prayer and build yourself up in your most holy faith. And I've been praying, I'm reading the Bible I think I've told you before, I've read the Bible in six months, Psalms and Proverbs, and I just, three or four times, and just immersed in the Scripture, and in prayer, and just seeking after God. Look, I'm in Germany, I'm, my wife's not over there, I don't, hey, you want to go party, Sissel? Nah, man, I'm going to hang out. You going to read your Bible? Probably. And all of a sudden, something began to rise up. Now, I didn't know what it was, but later I come to find out about righteous indignation. Anybody ever heard of it? You can actually become righteously indignant. <laughs> I turn around and I just, I wheel around at this point where this rises up in me. 
and it, it felt like the Holy Spirit leading me, but like, but I can't explain it, but to be a righteous anger, not self-righteous, but like, I'm not going to sit and listen to this anymore. I'm going to let that demonic tutor speak to me. They're going to convert me to what? What's he talking about? And I just wheel around. I said, sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus. Now, to understand that I don't know that I had the right vernacular biblically to use the word shut up. <laughs> right? Because another brother in the, uh, in the um, unit, he was, he was outranked me, was older than me, and he was a believer. Came to me, I heard you lost your spiritual bearing. So you keep your military bearing in the way you interact with people. And he came up and he goes, I heard you lost your spiritual bearing today. I'm like, what? You told you know, him to shut up. And I'm like, well, he was saying I'm going to convert you. And I don't know what he's talking about. And here's the thing. Here, you, we go in the military by our last name. And of all the names this guy could have had, his, name, his last name was Chapel. Like, you know, going to, I'm going to Chapel. Uh, and, uh, and so, but this brother educates me a little bit about him. He's a Satanist. He's got a four-man room. Nobody will room with him because he worships Satan. Now I'm thinking all of a sudden, like, dang, I ain't never met a Satanist. And so I end up thinking, what is going on with all this? But what he did when I told him to sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus, say the name of Jesus. Well, you're going to learn a lot about that in the next few weeks. He just drops in that chair and puts his hands on his lap like this and looks at the floor. And he kind of look up. And I look back at him and he looked down. Now, I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this to say that there are real forces of darkness at work. I've encountered demon-possessed people before. I've cast demons out. And I've seen people that love their demons so much they didn't want to let them go. Come on, somebody. Let me say this, that all, when we think of all sickness, all sickness, Mental, emotional, physical sickness. It is tied to demonic forces. I'm not saying that there aren't chemical issues in your body. But I'm telling you that from the Jewish mindset, when you think of scriptures, it was written, right, in Hebrew and in Greek. But when you think of that mindset, that, the, that you are a trichotomy. God is a trinity and you are a trichotomy. Your spirit, soul, and body. And to, to be sick physically, you know, there can be things going on in your heart. You can have, you know, bitterness can stem up into, the Bible teaches us in the book of James, that bitterness can stem up into physical ailment. A root of bitterness, right, can, can literally stem up. You know that scientifically doctors tell us that that's the case. A person that seethes over things and is bitter, that it'll actually It'll seep into the rest of your body. And that's why Jesus exhorts us to, to forgive. That's why he exhorts us to release things. That's why he exhorts us to take his yoke. It's easy. And his burden is light. That we're meant to find rest in him. And not be so entangled in the way that the world functions. That we miss those opportunities to have his best blessing at work in our life. Can you say amen? How many of you want to know the end of that story with chapel? I'll wrap up with this scripture in a moment. Chapel left me alone from that point on, so I thought. No, what Chapel did is he, he uh, realized, like, okay, 
and I didn't understand all of it, that you have power in the name of Jesus, that you'll tread on scorpions. That's referring to demons when Jesus says that. All authority has been given to me. And he says that you have the authority, that you can take authority over situations in your life, demonic manifestations in your life. Well, I thought, but he's going to leave me alone now. No, no, no. All of a sudden, I go out for PT, and I, I'm at PT, and you know, you stretch, and you do the calisthenics and all that, and I bend over and touch my toes. Anybody do that in the military? You touch your toes, stand up, you know, jumping jack. And I'm there, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what is that? And it's like, light was going out, and I pass out, and I wake up in the, the medical center, and I'm like, what happened? They're like, you passed out. They got IVs in me, you know, you're dehydrated. I'm like, dehydrated? Man, I drink fluids. So anyway, that went on for uh, a few months where I, I'm going to, under evaluation. Angie, Angie didn't get over it until five and a half months in. And I'm going under these evaluations and stuff with a specialist. Um, but I, they would put me on profile. I'd go back. Now I'm hydrated. But what happened, I'd go out and boom, I'd pass out again. And I start coming under these physical ailments. What they call cardiac syncope. And... And it was like confusing for me because I'd never dealt with anything. I was a master fitness trainer. I was highly physically fit. As a matter of fact, when they put me in intensive care, the fifth time that it happened, they had me in intensive care for two weeks where they're monitoring me because they didn't know what was going on. When I would sleep, my heart rate would go down. It went down to like 24 beats a minute. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard marathon runners have very low heart rates in the rest rate. But for me, I would run a four and a half minute uh, mile. So, so I was highly fit, but, you know, it's like all of a sudden here I am facing this kind of physical issue. Well, then a soldier comes up, man, look, I don't, I don't want to get between all this stuff going on with you and chapel. I'm like, what stuff going on with chapel? And I, he goes, just this, this stuff, man, you know, like the God thing and the devil thing. I don't want to be in it, man. But I really thought you should know, like we were at lunch today and all of us are sitting there and chapel comes up and sits down at the table next to us. And, and he's over there, like he prays over his food like a Christian would pray over their food, but he prays, Satan, I curse Sissel, and I, 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 I cast him down, and I, you know, vex him, and all this kind of stuff that he's, and this guy tells me this, I'm like, what the heck? Come on, wouldn't you be like, well, wait a minute now, I got a Satanist after me, what the world, right? So what do I do? I call back, and I talk to Marty Younger, Pastor Marty. Like, hey, you know, this is going on. And Angie and, and they're all like, look, here's what you need to do. You need to plead the blood of Jesus Christ over your life. Come on, somebody. His blood covers you, right? You remember when the angel of death comes, what did they do? The blood was over the doorpost, and the angel had to pass by, right? The enemy has no power over you where the blood of Christ is applied to you. Come on. So, so I start pleading the blood. I'm doing all those things. Well, needless to say, one night I'm at, at the chapel, because they gave me a key to the chapel, and I would go in there, and I'd read the Bible, and that's actually where I started preaching, to pews. Me in heaven, right? The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the angels, whatever, and a bunch of pews in that chapel. I'm reading the scripture, and I start preaching to the pews just like people were sitting in them, right? Doing what? You know, preaching to the, really the audience of one, God. Being a witness unto him. And then it can spill out of there. Well, I'm there, and I'm there really late. And I go back. It's middle of the night, about 1 in the morning. I come walking in the barracks, and there's blood up the steps. I'm like, man, somebody must have busted their nose or something. Walk up the steps. You get further up the steps. I get to the landing, and you turn in. It's like these corridors like barracks are. 
And I see the blood kind of turn and go off one direction. And I'll never forget, right as I hit the landing, I hear my name in the most dark, sinister, demonic voice. I'm not going to try and emulate that. But the point is, is it's one of those where you're like, y'all, look, I don't, I don't endorse you watching horror movies or anything like that, but I saw a few as a kid growing up. My mom let us watch The Exorcist when we were little kids. Please don't do that to your children. I just tell you now, man, <laughs> my family laughed to this day at my reaction to that stuff. You know, it's like, oh, no, that's real. I'm out of here, right? Uh, well, here's the deal. I step to the top of that landing, and I hear my name in that voice. And I do a freeze frame. This is one of those things where if you've watched a horror movie, you say to yourself, yeah, run. Don't, don't go check that out. Why? You know? <laughs> When they're, you know what I'm saying? When they're walking up and they're like, what's going on? And you're screaming at the TV going, what are you doing? Leave, run, right? No, what do I do? I turn the corner and I go like, what's going on down here? <laughs> down that hallway, and I'm telling you, the blood's following him. It's dripping off of his hands. I'm like, man, what is going on? And then he says my name again like that. Now, now here's the deal. I've been over there praying, reading the Bible, preaching to the pews. My faith, man, I am here, right? That old saying, I'm God's man of faith and power for the hour, by gosh. And I get up behind him, and I see all that going on. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. He says my name again, and it is that demon speaking out of him. And I'm telling faith went like here. It drained to about, you know, gut level. And I'm just like, because <laughs> all that flashes back. Run, you idiot, run, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, there's enough left where I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> he turns around. His eyes are flopped in the back of his head. His arms, he had cut up his own self-sacrifice to, to Satan for power. And I got to say, when he wheeled around and I see that, and I see his eyes rolled in the back of his head, he is possessed. Just going to tell you right now, that that moment for me, faith got <laughs> knee level, man. I'm just like, yeah, that ain't right. And it wasn't. I'm telling you, it was not right. And that demon spoke out, I want you. And then all I knew to do was to say, you can't have me. You can't, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I start dropping the power words right on him. And then he starts convulsing and foaming at the mouth. I'm like, yeah, that ain't right either. And I, I start heading to my room. I'm like, I'm done with him, man. I, we're not doing any more of this tonight, you know. I'm going to spend a couple weeks in prayer, maybe even three days fasting, you know. But I get to my door, and I'm putting my key up to the door, and I'm, I'm going to open the door. And, and he kind of regains himself, starts walking towards me, and I'm kind of like going to put my key in the door, and I'm shaking a little bit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, fear's kind of starting to overcome faith for me. Look, come on. You know, that stuff is otherworldly. It's, I, I'll be honest with you. Raise your hand if you're like, yeah, I want to have that experience. But how many of you know Paul the Apostle and Peter? You know believers, right? One of the signs that follow believers is that they cast out demons. That if you're following the Lord, you're going to encounter demonic activity from time to time. And you need to know the power that you have because you are in a spiritual battle. And all I know is I turned back around and I said, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. My room's covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything in my life is covered in the blood. And he starts convulsing again. I get in my room. I shut the door and I sit down on my bed. And for about an hour, I'm praying. And just every so often, I'd be like, God, that ain't right, man. That's just not right. I mean, I kind of beside myself moment. I need to wrap up.
Within weeks, he's caught with a trash bag full of hash. <laughs> He'd been doing it for six years over there, doing drugs and selling drugs. And our unit was the worst unit in our brigade. And would you know that that encounter, he gets arrested and he's going to go to Mannheim, is the prison in, in Germany for the military. And Leavenworth is in the States, you all understand that? He's going to go to Mannheim. He's under, he's under lockdown. And, and on a certain day, the first sergeant calls me to his office. Take one guess who they assigned to watch over this guy. <laughs> he goes, hey, you're going to be in charge of making sure you're where he needs to be, doing what he needs to be doing. I said, why do I get that? He goes, well, everybody said that you're the one that, like, you know, has confronted him and stuff, and da-da-da. And this first sergeant was a believer. He goes, look, I want nothing to do with the guy. All I know is I've had to deal with him. I've not been able to, you know, not been able to get him out of here. And, you know, so he does the bare minimum, and he gets by, blah-blah-blah. He gets by with murder, basically. And so, but, I, but why, do, why do I draw that duty? I'm kind of the new guy on the block. I don't understand why I got to babysit the, the, the Satanist. But needless to say, I'll never forget taking him to Mannheim in that van. He said, you know, until you came here, I ran this company. And I thought my God had power until I met you. And now I've lost everything and I'm going to spend years in prison. I said, well, you can always turn to the Lord. Boy, that demon spoke out of him. I cursed the Holy Spirit. He starts blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You know, that's the only unforgivable sin. But people think it's when you cuss somebody out or cuss this, you know, God out or whatever. Let me tell you right now what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Let me give you a, a real understanding of what taking the name of God in vain is. It's to say God said something and he didn't say it. It's not GD. You all understand when I use that term what that means. It's not the cuss word of it. It's to say God said and God didn't say. That took his name in vain. Do you understand? And then the blaspheme, the Holy Spirit, let me say this. You always want to be very, very careful about saying, oh, that's not the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's doing something, be careful. It's like, but, but I don't understand that, yeah? Otherworldly, signs and wonders is what it's called. It, it, the casting out of demons, or you see a demon manifest. I remember right here in this church one Sunday, a, a gal that had gone through, been raped as a child, and all this stuff going on in her life, and, and the bitterness that was in her. And I remember praying over her, and she starts to scream, and I'll never forget Angie and I praying over that demon coming out of her. And I remember people like, I'm out of here, dude. I don't want anything to do with this kind of thing. Got me? Well, then go read the stories of Jesus. You don't want anything to do with what he was doing. And he said, greater works than these shall you do. Now, interesting enough, she got up from that. And her statement was this, I'm free. I've lived under that my whole life and I'm free. And 10 people left the church over the fact that that, that she had suffered that, and that's where a spirit gained entrance into her life, and she got delivered from it, and people were like, I, I don't know about this deliverance thing. See, I don't want anything to do with signs and wonders. I don't want anything to do with God working in power. See, having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof to do what? To work miracles. I'm not telling you that I want us to be a church that swings from the chandelier, come, becomes, not, we don't have chandeliers in this church, but... <laughs> Swings from the colored lights or whatever. <laughs> what I'm telling you is I don't want to be flaky with it. But I certainly want God's power at work in our church. 
I want God to do things that are going to break a yoke and lift a burden in people's lives. I want people to walk out here and to say that God is in us of a truth. I want them to walk into the presence of God and know that they've entered, if you will, the family room of God. I want them to walk in this place. And let me say this, I want them to walk into your life and encounter God's presence. I want people to say, you're a Christian, aren't you? And you're thinking, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. I know what's the other side of the story on that. Let God use you. Wherever he'll use you, however he'll use you. Don't limit him. Now I want to read this scripture as we go home today. And I want you to come back next week with this. If you would, read this through your week. And let this settle into your spirit. So when you come back next week, we're going to dig into this deeper. And I'm going to talk to you about how to understand spiritual warfare. And then I'm going to talk to you about the weapons you've been given. I'm going to talk to you about how to use those weapons over the course of the next few weeks. Does that sound all right with you? So let's read this as we close today. Darcy, would you just come up and play the keys? Hallelujah. Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 17. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, say therefore, therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Over the course of the next few weeks, I want us to grow in our understanding of spiritual warfare. Because it's not just about our oikos. It's not just about our local church. It's about this nation. It's about this nation and believing that God can, can draw the hearts of men and women, boys and girls all over this nation again, and that we can see revival come. And none should perish and all come to everlasting life. And you know, in my travels, one of the things I will tell you is that people are so consumed with themselves and what they can get out of this world that they're missing what's beyond it. And it takes us, believers in Christ, to reflect the kingdom of God. And there would be hope that they might be extended an invitation to come into God's grace and live their life for Him just as we are. Amen. Hey, stand your feet with me if you will. Father, I thank you for your people. God, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you for our church family in Largo, Florida. God, the opportunities we have to serve your kingdom. Lord, to reflect your love. But God,
Father, the only way we can do that is if we allow your perfect love to be formed in us. So, Father, I pray for your people today, for myself, that, God, we would be dedicated to prayer. We'd be dedicated to your word. And, God, we wouldn't shrink back from the battle. Lord, we would have that same mindset that was in Christ Jesus. Though we want certain things to pass from us, we have a nevertheless in us. And nevertheless, not our will, but your will be done. So Father, use us. God, use us in our, in our families. Use us in our schools. Use us in our workplace. God, use us at every turn that you possibly can. Lord, as we're faithful, I pray that your blessings, I love the scripture that says that the blessings of God will take us. Lord, we don't have to be concerned for what we wear or what we're going to eat. We consider the lilies of the valley. The valley they neither toil nor spin. They're not stressed out. They don't have anxiety. They just trust in you. So, Father, I pray that our trust in you would grow and that, Lord, as that happens, we would fight the battle that you put before us so that, Lord, we can taste the sweetness of victory that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ. In all things, God, by the power of your Spirit today, God bless you. Have a great